Welcome to GovInnovator. I'm Andy Feldman. Our topic today is performance partnership pilots, an innovative approach to provide new flexibility to states and localities in exchange for a stronger focus on outcomes. Our guest is Thaddeus Ferber from the Forum for Youth Investment. Here's a clip. Programs need to be flexible in providing young people what it is that that particular young person needs at that particular time. The challenge that we've seen arise over time is that if that program is funded by one or more federal funding streams, that funding stream or streams may not be flexible. And so they may have to turn away a young person, uh, not because that they don't have what they need to serve the young person, but they're not allowed to use that particular funding, federal funding stream to support that young person in the particular way they need. And so that really is what birthed the concept of the performance partnership pilots. One of the most innovative new approaches in federal policy is known as Performance Partnership Pilots, or P3. In 2014, Congress authorized several federal agencies, including Education, Labor, and HHS, to enter into 10 performance partnership agreements with states, regions, localities, and tribal communities. These agreements allow these jurisdictions to have additional flexibility in using their discretionary funds across multiple federal programs in exchange for a commitment to achieve significant improvements for disconnected youth, meaning youth who are not in school and not working. The P3 concept, however, could be applied to many other social policy areas. To learn more, we're joined by Thaddeus Ferber, a vice president at the Forum for Youth Investment, an organization that advocated for and helped bring about the P3 authorization. Thaddeus, welcome. Well, thank you, Andy. It's great to be here and to talk about one of my favorite topics. So, Thaddeus, I just mentioned in the introduction, P3 allows for greater flexibility in exchange for greater accountability around outcomes. Start us off with the flexibility side. What is the flexibility that P3 allows, and why can that be useful to states and localities? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think P3 at its core comes from an understanding that government structures, um, both legislative committees and subcommittees and the various departments and agencies, uh, each have to divide up a problem into pretty bite-sized pieces to get the job done. And so we know that children and youth aren't small little siloed beings. They are coherent beings and uh, that policies by nature are fragmented. So we've seen over time that really creates challenges on the ground. If you're a service provider who's going to be ready to take a young person who has been, for whatever reasons, disconnected from school and disconnected from work and have realized that they really need to find a way back to the mainstream of America. They really need to find a path back towards productive adulthood. There are service providers out there who want to help them. What that young person who walks in the door needs could vary. Uh, It could be a range of things that could deal with health, mental health. It could deal with their need for more education. It could deal with their need to uh, improve their work readiness skills or their job finding skills. Um, So programs need to be flexible in providing young people what it is that that particular young person needs at that particular time. The challenge that we've seen arise over time is that if that program is funded by one or more federal funding streams, that funding stream or streams may not be flexible. And so they may have to turn away young person, uh, not because that they don't have what they need to serve the young person, but they're not allowed to use that particular funding, federal funding stream to support that young person in the particular way they need. And so that really is what birthed the concept of the performance partnership pilots. 
Mm-hmm. And am I right that it's often referred to as being able to blend or braid federal funds? Absolutely. That's one of the things that we're seeing the first sites that have been selected for P3 look at is how can I take a number of different federal funding streams, connect them together, blend them together so I have a coherent set of flexible funds that I can use to support young people in whatever range of ways that those young people need. Um, And so that's one of the things that the performance partnership pilots allows them to do. That's on the flexibility side is it allows them to blend the various funding streams together. The other thing that it allows sites to do is if there's a specific federal barrier, that there's some common sense thing that they want to do that for some reason there's a federal regulation that does not allow them to do, P3 allows them to uh, request flexibility from that specific provision. We've seen that in a number of ways. I'd say the most common is around eligibility. So if you have a couple of different funding streams that you're using to support disconnected youth in this case, and one funding stream allows you to work for young people from 18 to 21, another allows you to do 16 to 24, you don't want to get into silly games where you say, oops, you're three months past your birthday, we're now allowed to give you workforce supports but not education supports. That obviously wouldn't make sense. And so that's another nice part of the flexibility is P3 allows sites to take a look at those specific federal rules that have clearly been made for one or more uh, very important reasons. But in the context of the young people they're solved, they're working to support, they just get in the way. So they're allowed to request flexibility from those types of potential burdens as well. Got it. Before we turn to the accountability side, I assume that P3 sites don't have the same reporting requirements in terms of having to report to every one of the funding streams. Can you give us a quick overview? How do the reporting requirements change? Yeah, so people talk about the concept of blending or braiding funds, and they're actually two different things, but it's a very important thing to understand as you're looking at flexibility. So the first way to do it, which is unfortunately the more common way because it's more difficult, um, is called braiding funds. And you can kind of think of that as braiding hair, where you can go to the end of the braid and you could take any particular thread of hair and trace it all the way back up to the head. That is how you'd be braiding different funding streams, meaning I'm using funding from six different federal programs to serve my young people. I am keeping the bookkeeping very careful so I could go back at the end of the grant period and say, okay, on this young person, they came in for this service, I spent $186, and I charged that $186 to back to this specific federal source. So you're using them all together, but from a reporting, you have a huge burden of still being able to track each and every dollar. Much more efficient is the approach of blending funding, where you say to the different federal funding streams, I'm going to take all this funding with your advanced permission, put them all in one report, And I'm going to send one financial report back to all of you that says, how did I spend the collective pot of funds? The site is still accountable for reporting back how they spent the money collectively, but they don't have to tell funder A, I spent your $186 here. Funder B, I spent your $56 here. You can just say, okay, overall on the project, we spent the full $200, and here's where the full $200 went. Very common sense type of thing that you'd expect would be easy but is actually very hard to do in a government structure. And so that's one of the types of common sense things that performance partnership pilots will be allowed to do. I know that the first round of projects saw fewer blending proposals than expected. 
you've mentioned that it's a mindset shift that will likely take some more time, and we'll probably see more blending proposals going forward. Switching gears, Thaddeus, to the accountability side, what do performance partnership pilots ask of these state and local entities in exchange for this flexibility? So on the accountability side, it's in everyone's best interest to make sure that taxpayer dollars are spent responsibly and effectively. And so there's always that understanding that as you provide more flexibility, you still want to make sure at the end of the day, you're getting the type of results that you want to and that the funding is supposed to be able to provide. What the performance partnership pilots ask in the application is for the selected sites to be clear about what are the results that they are going to show at the end of the day that they achieved. And so this is done in a collaborative process where the selected sites and their federal counterparts come together and work on a performance partnership agreement that lays out in specificity what are the federal rules or regulations that they are going to relax for the site. And then the site is very clear about, and at the end of the day, here's the results for disconnected youth that we are going to be held accountable for achieving. And so in some ways, it's similar to other mechanisms that I know you've discussed on this podcast, like pay for success, where uh, you are giving some more flexibility in how people use the money in exchange for more accountability for the results that they get at the end of the day. And Thaddeus, can you give us a quick overview of one of the projects and tell us how they're using the flexibility? Sure, and there's a good range of them. So I'll just give two examples. In Chicago, they've been looking at what people call these days a two-generation strategy. How do you work to support children and their parents together? Most programs are designed just to help children or to, uh, to support adults, but very few are actually crafted in a way that you're serving them as a family unit. Uh, serving both the adults and the children together. In Chicago, they started looking at the Head Start program where they're serving low-income children, and they were also looking at the programs that existed for young parents. And they said, you know what, there's actually a real opportunity here to blend the two together and to find young parents, I think in this case all were young women, who were struggling, weren't employed, wanted a chance to provide better for their children and match that with Head Start centers that were supporting young children but needed to find a good, competent, culturally relevant adults to work with the young children. And so they brought the two together and they took funding and efforts that were supporting young moms, combined that with the Head Start program and made an integrated program where they would be helping the young parents who would be then hired as Head Start staff to work with the young children. Then if you kind of go up higher at a systems level of how do we integrate big systems together, Los Angeles took that up as their P3. At a very high level, they really looked at, we've got our youth workforce development system over here, and we have our education system over there. What do we do for young people who are in this case, generally 14 to 21. Uh, In LA, they focused on starting at age 16. Um, What do you do for young people who've exited school without a credential and are trying to find their way back to a successful adulthood, recognizing that sometimes that path would be back into 
education, often through alternative schools, if the original type of schools did not work for the young person, um, or back to a job. So they looked at are these young people coming in off the street saying, I want help reconnecting. How do we have one system that can help them go in whichever direction makes the most sense for them? And so in Los Angeles, they have a series of re-engagement centers that you will find staff that are hired both by the employment training dollars as well as staff hired by education dollars all working together in a cohesive program that a young person can walk into and get whichever type of support that they need. In terms of some of the emerging lessons from performance partnership pilots already, am I right that some localities that have been involved in this initiative realized that they had more flexibility than they thought, even without PPPs? Um, In other words, part of the performance partnership pilot process, the value of the process, was myth-busting. Federal agencies saying to states and localities, you have more flexibility within existing law than you might think to bridge some of these silos. Yes. So in general, we find there's two types of barriers, both of which have the exact same effect. Uh, So the first type of barriers are the mythical barriers, uh, where there's just not enough clarity and there's not good enough lines of communication between the local, state, and federal lines so that uh, there may be some flexibility that people did not know they had that has not been communicated in a right way. The other type of barrier are the ones that there is some statutory, administrative, or regulatory rule that actually does forbid people from taking that action. I think it's important for people to understand this all comes into a governmental context that is very risk adverse, that you rarely get rewarded for thinking out of the box, um, but you are in big trouble if you do anything that accidentally triggers or intentionally triggers an audit. And so... We have found through not only through P3 but through other programs that part of the value just comes from creating the line of communication between federal, state, and local government. When you can get them on the phone together and say, okay, here's what we're trying to achieve locally and let's work with you to figure out what we can do at the state and federal level to allow you to achieve it, that is a huge benefit. And so there's kind of the silent or or under-recognized benefit of these types of programs is they create these new lines of communication. And so when you are submitting an application for this type of thing you want to do that crosses lines, that application is in of itself a form of communication with the federal government who can then come back and say, well, you actually don't need a P3. In that case, Just that line of communication and that formalized structure to allow that communication to happen solves a lot of the barriers that way. In general, we estimate that a third of barriers are communication barriers that you are allowed. If you could finally get the right person on the phone and know who to ask, you would actually find out that they'd give you the answer that, yes, you are allowed to do that. A final question for you, Thaddeus. I assume that this model could be applied to many other areas of social policy. It's really one reason this is such an exciting topic. Is there any reason that you know of that that would preclude it from being applied elsewhere or any reason why it was easier to apply it to disconnected youth? Uh, It absolutely could be applied to different areas. And I think that really was the and continues to be the vision and intent of let's try this with one population, learn what we can, refine the model, and then have it as an approach we can apply for other populations as well. Uh, The selection of disconnected youth was 
came to for um, a, a range of reasons. So the first is that it is a population where the young people have a range of needs. If they don't fit neatly into one box, they'll need a range of mental health or substance abuse um, issues and education and employment. So it's generally a population when they walk into any given program, you're going to find that there's a range of supports they need. And so that lent itself well to disconnected youth as the performance partnership pilots. It also happened at a time where there has been and continues to be a lot of national attention and interest in this population, both inside the administration and out. So it was a helpful population to go to just because there's a lot of action and thinking and activity underway. But the idea of the performance partnership pilot came first and then applying it to disconnected youth came second. So there's absolutely the expectation and understanding that as this model gets refined over time, it can and should be used for other populations as well. Thaddeus, thank you very much for giving us a really useful Performance Partnership Pilots 101. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me, Andy.